Welcome to our Meditation Service podcast. Each week we will have a different presentation, including different sutra chanting, different speakers, and different Dharma messages. Through this Meditation Service program, we will have both seated and standing meditation, sutra chanting, and a Dharma message. We hope that this Meditation Service podcast will enable the listener to experience meditation, to experience sutra chanting, and to listen to a Dharma message. In our Shin Buddhist tradition, we regard meditation as not a practice or as a means to try to attain enlightenment, but we are simply sitting to calm ourselves so that we might better receive the Dharma, hear the Dharma. Our everyday life is so hectic and fast-paced and busy, we need a little bit of quiet time, tranquility. We find it hard to focus on listening to a message, and so by sitting first, we're able to settle ourselves, calm ourselves, and open our hearts and minds to receive the teachings. Once we learn how to receive the teachings in a meditation service, we find that we're able to receive the teachings even in our everyday life. We encounter teachers anywhere. It could be a driver. It could be a bartender. It could be your pet cat or dog that gives you a teaching relevant to your life. Thank you. We will begin with sitting meditation. Find yourself a comfortable place to sit, either in a chair or on the floor. On the floor, you may prefer to sit on a cushion with your legs crossed or folded beneath you. On a chair, sit without leaning back with your feet planted evenly and comfortably on the floor. Sit comfortably erect with shoulders back and your spine straight. Rock back and forth and then side to side to find your center. Your head should also be straight with your eyelids lowered but not closed. Focus on a point a few feet in front of you. Your face should be relaxed as you breathe quietly. Hands can be placed in several positions. In the classic mode, rest your left hand in your right hand with thumbs touching and comfortably laid against your abdomen. Or you can touch thumbs and forefingers together and rest them on your thighs with palms up. Another option may be to fold your hands on top of each other on your lap. The key is to find a position that is comfortable and that can be maintained in stillness during the meditation session. While sitting, try focusing on your breath, counting them to 10. Breathe in, one. Breathe out, two. Breathe in, three and so forth. You may find distractions such as the sounds around you or your own thoughts. If that happens, observe them, acknowledge them, and then let them go. Begin counting your breaths again from one. We will begin and end each session at the sound of a bell. At the end of this first session, you will be asked to place your hands together in gasho and bow. 
Gasho means putting your hands together and bowing in an expression of gratitude. You may choose to intone the words Namo Amidabutsu as you gasho. We will begin our first seated meditation session at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in Gasho and bow. Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz. We will begin uh, sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Uh, most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, uh, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why uh, each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English, and we move down the first column, and then we move to the second column, and so on. Open circles uh, represent bells uh, for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing uh, from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters, and each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character, and it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U, and they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then uh, you'll see uh, italicized lines. Uh, those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlying character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, this is a form of meditation. Uh, rather than silent meditation, we're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on, and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless, and you'll begin to memorize it uh, without realizing it. Today, we're going to chant the Shoshinge on page 63. This is the Gyofu style. It is more elaborate more melodic. Some people love it. Some people maybe don't love it. It's a little harder, but it's more melodic. It has more of a rhythm. So in that sense, it's more enjoyable to chant. It has more dynamic range. It's more active. And here we have the musical lines when necessary. So whenever we change a section, we'll put up the new melody if necessary. The Shoshinge was written by Shinran Shonin, the founder of the Pure Land Jodo Shinshu tradition in Japan in the 11 and 1200s. This is his kind of magnum opus. It's 60 couplets, 120 lines of seven characters each. So again, a giveaway that you are chanting a verse or poem. And it comes kind of in different sections. He begins by kind of explaining the basic teachings of the Pure Land way. And then he talks about the seven Pure Land Masters. And then he closes uh, with saying, take refuge in the great teachers of the past. And so we chant that from page 63. 
all the way to page 68. And then we jump to the Nembutsu Wasans. Also, uh, these are poems that were written in Japanese. So everything we've chanted so far has been in either Pali or Chinese kanji. Now we're going to actually chant in Japanese. Shinran wrote these in the vernacular for the Japanese people so they could read it and understand it. So this is a very poetic explanation of his religious depth and spiritual consciousness. And there's leader lines. And we go all the way from page 76 to page 81. And again, we close with the ekoku, but the melody's a little bit different. And if you can read music, you're in good shape. This is a little bit more involved, but it's a very meaningful. And then another example of melody is on page 69, a Shoshinge and Sofu style. In general, every fourth line goes down. And then there's also a Zendo portion that becomes more melodic in both the Gyofu and the Sofu style. Uh, that's on page 71, the third measure. Zendo, Dokyumyo, Bushoi, Koai, Josanyo, Gyaku, Aku. But just listen along. Don't worry about perfect pitch. And again, we come to the end on page 72. And again, jump to the Wasans on page 76. And all of our chanting, except I think for the Mita Sutra, is all in English. We have English translations, either in verse or prose or sometimes both. But you really need a commentary or a teacher to understand it because it's very uh, non-literal. It's very symbolic. It's poetry. And it helps to have somebody kind of explain the metaphors and the analogies. So we will begin our chant now. Kimyo Muryo Junior Thank you. 
Oh, no. 
知恵の
please join me in Gasho. Namandats, 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 Namandats. What is Buddha? When I first began studying Buddhism, there were many concepts that confused me, but this is very natural and to be expected. Learning something new can be difficult, and sometimes words can be confusing because they're unknown. For me, Buddhism was one of those challenges. Many challenges in life are like this, especially the important ones. Early on, one of the words I found most confusing was the term Buddha. Of course, it appears everywhere in Buddhist texts, but I often got turned around when Buddha was used in different ways. It seemed like Buddha referred to several different concepts. It took me quite a lot of reading before I began to decipher these different meanings and usages. For example, is Buddha a person, a place, or a thing? Is it a noun, or is it an adjective? I think most would say it's a person who was born 2,500 years ago in India, who realized awakening and began to teach what was to become known as Buddhism. But Buddha can also be used as an adjective. It means to be awakened to reality as it is, to the truth of impermanence. In other words, we normally sleepwalk through life, living in a self-created dream world. We suffer because our dreams do not match our experiences. As this tension grows, Buddhism provides us an opportunity to awaken. The Buddha taught a truth that has always existed. It was a discovery, not an invention. From this perspective, the truth of Buddhism existed prior to the Buddha's awakening. There were even awakened teachers prior to and after the historical Buddha. Anyone who has realized awakening may be referred to as a Buddha. The historical Buddha was a special teacher, but he was not a solitary Buddha. In this sense, his enlightenment experience under the Bodhi tree is not unique in human history. Perhaps it would be more clear if we referred to the historical Buddha as the Buddha and others as a Buddha. Otherwise, it can be quite confusing since the adjective Buddha may be used to describe many different people throughout history. It could be referring to the historical Buddha or not, depending on context. This may help explain the Buddha statue at many Chinese restaurants. He is a Buddha, but he doesn't look anything like the Buddha. The Buddha statue has a large belly and is always laughing. His name is Hotai. He is most likely an itinerant 10th century Chinese Buddhist monk. He wandered China, giving treats to children from the knapsack he carries on his back. He is called the Laughing Buddha. Hotai is also sometimes confused with Maitreya, the future Buddha. Maitreya is a mythical Buddha, much like Amida Buddha, the infinite Buddha. Maitreya is also described as having a large belly, signaling that he is satiated. All his earthly wants have already been satisfied. He is at peace. He is without greed. Usually Maitreya is portrayed as sitting. He is also very happy because his future enlightenment has been assured. Amida Buddha is also a mythical Buddha. When Amida Buddha realized awakening, all be beings realized this event as a possibility in their own lives. You might even think of it as the Big Bang Theory of Buddha nature. Amida's practice transferred merit to all beings, past, present, and future. 
all the requirements for enlightenment had been met. We now only need to realize it. Buddha nature became our birthright. Thus we can realize awakening just as we are. Notice that there are multiple living Buddhas in human history and multiple mythical Buddhas that transcend history. These mythical Buddhas represent awakening as something that transcends time, something not constrained by history. But mythical does not mean false. In fact, they represent a truth that is much deeper than historical truth. These mythic Buddhas transmit a profound emotional truth. Their stories are our stories. They represent the human condition. They are archetypes that personify our deepest desires. There is one last use of the term Buddha. It can be used to refer to infinite reality itself, a synonym for suchness. This is a formless reality that is beyond words. In our Jodo Shinshu tradition, this formless reality manifests form through the medium of sound as Namo Amidabuts. You might say that Namo Amidabuts is the sound of Buddha. This is Buddha as an activity that is transforming our consciousness. This is a timeless gift given to us by Amida Buddha. It is a sound that awakens all beings. All of these different types of Buddhas are part of this awakening process, both outside of time and within time, each trying to wake us up in their own unique way. Please join me in Gasho. Namandouts, 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 namandouts. This concludes our podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and gained something from this segment. Please join us again. And thank you. For access to more content, please visit our YouTube channel by searching for the Orange County Buddhist Church. There's over 40 different videos, all about 15 to 20 minutes each, from Dharma Talks and Adult Study given on Sundays at the Orange County Buddhist Church by various ministers. Please attend online. Today's program was presented by Reverend Marvin Harada, Reverend John Turner, and Reverend Ellen Crane. Executive Producers, Reverend Marvin Harada and Jim Scott. Produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. Directed and engineered by Reverend John Turner. Edited by Jim Scott. This program includes excerpts from Time Stood Still by Riley Lee, used with permission. Copyright 2019, Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. All rights reserved. We hope you'll join us for future podcasts, or please check out our Buddhist online program at everydaybuddhist.org. Our website is ocbuddhist.org. There are Dharma messages that you can read on the website, and the online program has a number of Buddhist education courses from introductory level to the study of Buddhist texts. If you've never attended one of our meditation services, we are located at 909 Southdale Avenue in Anaheim. Thank you for joining us today.